This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Rise above the sea of sameness and shop the Lincoln Corsair at Woodhouse Lincoln, the Omaha Metro's exclusive Lincoln dealer. The Lincoln Corsair has seating for five and integrated technology features that deliver the functionality you need. With an expressive aesthetic and luxurious interior, the Lincoln Corsair is quiet luxury redefined. Visit us in-store off 144th and Giles Road at Woodhouse Place or online at woodhouselincoln.com. Money can be a daunting subject, and while most money shows include a whole bunch of jargon, you're not going to need a dictionary on hand in order to learn while listening to our show, How to Money. We have money conversations that are relevant, and they're intended to help you suck a whole lot less at this money thing. We release three episodes a week covering crucial topics like student loans, investing in a volatile market, and what to do about insane housing prices right now. Since April is Financial Literacy Month, now is the perfect time to start. Listen to How to Money on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. On this season of Here's the Thing, I speak with more actors, musicians, writers, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like the multi-talented musician and actor Stephen Van Zandt. I had no interest in being an actor, ever, but I had just read every mob book, uh, you know, and I had seen every mob movie, so I kind of just felt I could do this. I kind of knew this kind of guy. Listen to Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. Statistically, it only rains about 35 days out of the year in Southern California. But when I arrived at the Casa del Mar Hotel, the rain was coming down hard. The landscape was cold and misty. It was right on the beach, but I could barely see the Pacific Ocean through the palatial windows that lie in the hotel bar, where I found the man I was meeting, wearing round, thin-framed glasses, a light blazer, and a surprisingly vibrant tropical button underneath it all. So this is Hotel Casa del Mar. It's right on the beach in Santa Monica. It's an old, historic, beautiful building, classic style. We were doing a case here about 10 years ago that involved a cheating spouse. And we had been hired by the wife of a businessman who was staying here to watch him while he's out here on a business trip. And so the client was saying, well, you know, can you do it? And I said, well, I'll do it, but I'll need a $100 bar tab. (laughs) Even if the rain is an outlier in Los Angeles, the moody atmosphere did feel very apt for the subject matter. My name is Bruce Robertson. I'm a private investigator. I've been a 
investigator in Los Angeles for over 30 years. I'm the CEO and founder of TriStar Investigation, and we're located on the west side of Los Angeles. We have a full-service detective agency, so we cover a broad spectrum of investigation. I am naturally inquisitive. I'd much rather be listening than talking, and that's one thing that does help a private investigator be good is because you're not going to get information if your mouth is running. Unfortunately for Bruce, his mouth is going to be running a lot during this episode. Today, we're taking a look at the city of Los Angeles through the lens of two of the city's most established private investigators. The fedora-capped noir trope of the LAPI is burned into our collective consciousness. Think Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe or Jake Giddies from Chinatown. And while the modern-day analogs might operate a little differently, they still see the city through a different angle. They trail subjects on the 101. They stake out hotel bars and seedy clubs. They record conversations with hidden microphones in pawn shops. And along the way, they get to know Los Angeles, the old, the sketchy, the gentrified, in a way that few other professions facilitate. So this is Los Angeles, through their eyes. Well, Los Angeles is a unique town because it's so spread out. So that's kind of a challenge because there's no real cohesion and you have to be extremely adaptive to go into every situation and try to blend in. It's not really a town, it's a huge conglomeration of small cities and neighborhoods. In doing investigation, you go across all kinds of strata of society. After sharing some coffee and a plate of huevos rancheros, which I highly recommend at the Casa del Mar, we hopped in Bruce's car and drove around in the now pouring rain. And I remember one particular day a few years back, I had an interview in Beverly Hills with a business client and I was in one of these big, beautiful uh, mansions. And later that day, I had to go find a witness in Boyle Heights and I was in a tenement apartment building with people living, you know, eight to a room. You know, that's the thing about uh, being a private investigator. You just get such a wide view of society. And the other thing is, is that when you're, if you're working undercover, you have to be extremely observant about what's going on around you. And so you tend to be more observant about what's happening around the city. First of all, you should prepare and dress the part. And secondly, you just have to be sensitive to who you're dealing with, what the area is like, how you can blend in. I even have kind of a natural ability to adapt like accents. I'll give you an example. I was working on a case out in the uh, Inland Empire Riverside area of Los Angeles. That's about 60 miles east of here. There was 
a man who had been killed working on a drilling a water drill. And he happened to be Navajo. And the whole crew, there was four of them, were Navajo. And we needed to interview the other people that were there. And nobody could get a hold of these people. They were living in a remote hotel out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't want to talk to anybody. And I happened to know something about the Navajo traditions. I've been out on the reservation. And one thing that they do is if, when somebody has died, they don't speak their name for three moons after they die because they don't want to bring them back from their journey in the afterlife. And so I finally found these uh, men out at this remote hotel. And the first thing I said to them when, I op when they opened the doors, I said, I'm here to talk to you about the one who died. They knew that I was not speaking his name on purpose, and I was able to gain their trust and get what I needed. While Bruce does a lot of his in-person meetings at places like Castle Del Mar, big, plenty of people, nice but relatively private, he definitely has an acute awareness of what we would consider old-school L.A., the classics, the kind of places I would actually want to go to as a tourist. The one place that I think uh, just is such a fine example of old-school Los Angeles uh, bar-slash-dining is a place called Musso Frank's in Hollywood. That place is so beautiful, old-school, walnut paneling, brass, you know, immaculately dressed uh, servers, and um, you go into these booths that are red leather and have a cocktail, and you can just, there's pictures of the wall of all the movie stars going back 30 or 40 or 50 years. You know, you can imagine the things that went on there, and you see pictures of, you know, Liz Taylor and people like that on the wall inside the restaurant, and it just takes you back. So that's one of my favorite old-time let's call it a film noir type bar in Los Angeles. Well, there's a place called the Smokehouse out in, I believe it's Burbank, near uh, the NBC studios. And it's an old time hangout for actors as well. And back in the day, it was totally smoke filled back when you could still smoke inside bars. And you could go there and on any given day spot several celebrities and uh, throwing back the martinis and cigars, cigarettes, etc. It was just like walking into the 50s. Well, there's a great uh, Italian place called La Vecchia that's in uh, Santa Monica. And it's old style. The owners are Italian and uh, they've been in business for... Well, I've been going there for more than 15 years, and it's just a great... They have a huge bar, so you can eat at the bar, and uh, just real, very friendly staff and amazing Italian food. There's a place called Joffrey's up in Malibu on the beach. It has just a beautiful view, and if you go there at sunset, it's just amazing. All right, so we asked a few private eyes in L.A. to help out with this episode, but by their nature, they are, well, incredibly private. Though a few who didn't appear were gracious enough to give us some more recommendations of old-school spots that might help you, as a visitor, feel that L.A. noir vibe. First up, The Prince in Koreatown. 
With dramatic lighting, dark red wallpaper, cozy booths, and oil paintings lining the wall, the print seems like an old-school New York steakhouse, but they serve colorful cocktails and fried chicken. It opened as a different bar way back in the 1940s. They filmed a scene from Chinatown here, it's featured in an episode of Mad Men, and also, you might recognize it from the very non-noir show, New Girl. But it definitely makes you feel like you're in classic L.A. Number two, the Angel's Flight Funicular. You can find this incredibly short but 118-year-old funicular between Hill Street and Grand Avenue on Bunker Hill. It's an incline, and it claims to be the world's shortest railway. And while the ride only lasts a minute, tickets cost a dollar, and you can definitely pretend you are on a truncated journey to confront the person who killed your wife, or something. I don't know. Number three, the Millennium Biltmore Hotel. If you really want to go all in on this theme, you can stay at this classically designed hotel established in 1923, designed by the architects who would later create New York's famed Waldorf Astoria. Every room is bursting with golden details. They even used to hold the Oscars here, and the barroom looks very much out of The Shining, with hopefully less murder, even though this place is obviously reported to be haunted. While all of these are classic slices of Los Angeles, there is no more quintessential LA experience than sitting in traffic. Let's go back to Bruce. Uh, especially, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, traffic has just gotten incredibly bad here. It was never great. Uh, but, you know, tailing people in heavy traffic is another real challenge. So when you're doing uh, surveillance work and you have to follow people who are driving, you, you're always juxtaposing two factors, staying close enough to them to make sure that they don't, that you don't lose them, but staying far enough away to make sure that they don't notice you. And so you're constantly having to make split moment decisions uh, as you're following them to uh, weigh those two factors and uh, adjust uh, as the best you can. Don't try this at home. <laughs> because it's a lot harder than it looks. It can be dangerous. Uh, you know, you can be tempted to, you know, violate traffic laws, which we often have to do. There's one maneuver, which we call an RUR, whereas if you're following somebody and they go through a yellow light and you get stuck at the red light, it's called a RUR. You make a right turn, you make an immediate U, and then you make another right and go ahead and get through that light that way if, if traffic permits. And the other thing is, whenever you're doing undercover work, you have to have a cover. So that's the reason you're there. So, for instance, when I was at the Hotel Casa del Mar, sitting at the, at the bar, you know, I had a story for the bartenders. In that case, Bruce told the bartender he was meeting a friend from college who would be checking in in a few hours. You know, we will budget several hours before we even do any work of just coming up with a a credible cover story. I had a case many years back where we were working for a lawyer, represented somebody who 
uh, thought that a particular production company had lifted their idea for the show. And so I was hired to go in undercover to try to get into their film vault to see if they had a copy of this treatment. And so I had to come up with a very elaborate cover story which involved being a uh, graduate student at a particular university and uh, I was doing a uh, thesis on this t genre of show and wanted to interview and I actually got the producer to take me on and uh, bring me in and uh, and so that was and then I even went to the extent of actually finding out who were the professors at the university because that's the other thing about undercover work is you never know when you're going to get hit with a question that you're not going to be able to answer so I went to the extent of even knowing who the professors were and actually enrolling so that if they checked I would actually be on the on the books there I enrolled in an extension class you know, I, I love Los Angeles. The weather here is amazing. The light here is amazing. It, you know, it's beautiful sunsets. I mean, this is why actually Los Angeles became a film capital is because of the incredible light that's here. One of my favorite films is Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And it's... Uh, exquisitely filmed and uh, every scene is just like a work of art. I heard that uh, they actually waited like five days to shoot one scene just because the lighting wasn't right day after day. What film do you think most accurately uh, portrays your job? There was an interesting film called The Conversation which was about wiretapping that and that was very realistic as to, you know, kind of the gritty part of Los Angeles. My favorite uh, old-time private investigator was Rockford because that guy typified an L.A. private investigator, totally outgoing, you know, charismatic, and uh, just able to put a smile on anybody's face and put them at ease. And that's one of the secrets to being a good investigator is to put people at ease and get them talking. Fortunately, we were able to get Bruce talking. Maybe I could be an L.A. private eye after all. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're heading to a crowded outdoor location in Culver City to meet Barbara, who might just be L.A.'s preeminent female private investigator. She even served Justin Bieber. We're going to take a quick break, but lots more on that and plenty more. Stick around. Well, Los Angeles can be a very scary place. And a lot of people go missing. And families will call me. It's just like you see in the movies. It's worse. It's a mishmash. You know, you could have a, a, a terrible neighbor right next to a $2 million home. And I just actually served one. He was a hoarder, and it was two little bungalows. And all I could think of is, man, if they tore this place down, you know, <laughs> a beautiful house to the right, beautiful house to the left, beautiful homes. And it's like, that's how neighborhoods are. I met our next private eye outside behind what's commonly known as the Culver City Steps in Culver City. 
I asked them to meet me in a place where they would actually meet a client. So we took some chairs in this public gathering space and found a quiet corner. We could see the crowd walking by. We were totally out in the open, but we were also pretty inconspicuous. Accomplishing this seemingly impossible feat is the first of many things she taught me during our interview. Okay, my name is Barbara, and I own Kinsey Investigations Incorporated, and we're based out of Marina Del Rey, but we cover all of Los Angeles and Orange County. In the very beginning, I was a little bit intimidated about being a female, but I find it advantageous to be a female. My colleagues, men, hire me because I'm a woman, and there might be cases where they need somebody like me. With children, it were easier to be on campus of schools. You don't want this creepy guy walking around, you know? And all of my people are very youthful. They kind of look like you, you know? Handsome. <laughs> yeah, handsome. <laughs> and we're not big, scary ex-cops with the big, bulky build and the intimidating, you know, bodyguard look. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we blend in very easily. Barbara was wearing dark sunglasses, a fleece windbreaker. She is pretty much the most anonymous-looking person you could ever imagine. You would not remember seeing her on the street. We just did something the other day. It was a jewelry store in Orange County, and they needed a female to go in and try on, you know, rings and, you know, pretend to buy diamonds and stuff like that. And then I had an engaged fiancé, and then he was secretly filming while I was trying the rings on, and they were telling me about diamonds and clarity and all that kind of stuff but it was a divorce and the guy claimed he didn't make any money and he was a diamond broker so we were there filming his interaction and he was the diamond broker i guess that sells diamonds to jewelry stores and he claimed he didn't have any money he was not still working you know blah 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 which wasn't the case doesn't really add up no (laughs) diamonds are expensive Well, one of the fun things that I like about where I am is in Marina Del Rey. It's a very, very small area. And the marina itself is quite large, but it's less than like 1.5 square mile, right? And there's all, you wouldn't believe what I've been asked to do, repossess a boat. Um, We followed uh, cheating spouses on a boat. There was one I had to serve divorce papers uh, to this guy who had a yacht, and so I pretended I was booking it. And, and then I, I asked, I got there early, and I asked him if he could give me a tour. And so he took me down in the cabin, and he introduced me to his girlfriend. I'm, I'm serving him divorce papers, right? And, um, and so I, I said, come here, come here, come here. And uh, so he came real close to me, and I said, I'm actually here to serve you. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to embarrass you. And he was, he, he was so scared. And, but he was so relieved at the same time that I didn't make a big to-do about it, you know? One of my favorite places is Tony P's, and it's been there forever, but I meet clients there. One part is a little dark bar, sports bar, you know, you can have a quiet conversation with somebody, or up above they have a rooftop where it's very open and they have excellent food. It's like swordfish and, you know, whatever you want. And, of course, cocktails. <laughs> when you're meeting a client, um, you know, you mentioned it's a tiny, dark bar or whatever. That's one part of it. Is that the kind of place you seek out? Is it a place that needs to be a little bit clandestine? Yes. And, like, something like this. It's small, but it's out of the way. 
you know. It's very busy, there's a lot of people here, but look how we found this little nook, you know. And that's the type of things that I like to look for when I meet people. Usually they're very nervous and they, they like to drink like nicer bars. Like I don't know if you're familiar with Houston's chain here, but it's a steakhouse and they have a large bar area. And I like this one area in South Redondo Beach. It's uh, HT Grill, it's, it's uh, Hennessy's Tavern. It's open and spacious and they have good drinks. The Standard Hotel, which there is a branch downtown and there is a branch on Sunset Boulevard and the one on Sunset has a diner. So it's very easy to meet with clients in the diner. And they have a big foyer with couches and lounges and stuff. And I like that one very well. Well, out outdoors is what we typically like. Like um, I go to the Ritz and the Marina Del Rey all the time with the seals barking at me, you know? In the winter time, it's open and I meet clients there by the, the fireplace. So it's fun. I want to cut off Barbara really quickly. Sorry, Barbara. Okay. To give three more classic LA picks from our private stash of private eyes. First up, Arts Deli in Studio City. LA might be known for its low-key diners and donut shops, but for a big-ass lunch that will certainly take you back to the old days, Arts, opened in 1957, is an old-school Jewish deli with pastrami sandwiches and egg creams that can certainly go toe-to-toe with Katz's in New York and might actually win. You can definitely come here in the mid-afternoon to have a private conversation over some stellar matzo ball soup, and make sure to check out the vintage glamour shots of their sandwiches lining the back wall. It's part of the whole experience. Number two, the Los Angeles Vintage Paperback Show. Now, this only happens once per year in the spring. This year, it was held in March, so we just missed it. But if you're a fan of this stuff, it's definitely worth planning a trip around. Located in the Glendale Civic Auditorium, a $5 entry fee will grant you access to more than 80 vendors hawking thousands of vintage pulpy paperbacks with titles like Murder of the Circus Queen. You might just find some inspiration for your next screenplay here. And lastly, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yes, this is an old cemetery in Hollywood, which should be interesting enough. But the grounds also host daily yoga sessions, as well as film screenings, concerts, and stand-up. My Morning Jacket and David Cross both will be performing here this summer, separately. But for those who would rather pay their respects to Hollywood royalty, Legends like Judy Garland and Cecil B. DeMille are buried here. There are daily tours of the cemetery, or you can just wander around on your own. Speaking of awkward run-ins with celebrities, living or dead, let's go back to Barbara. Um, I serve Justin Bieber. I had to serve not only Justin Bieber, but his big, big-ass bodyguard. And he had several bodyguards, and they were circling me in a, a parking garage. And they're like, and I'm like, you touch me, it's a $3,500 fine. And they're circling me like this. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm just like, you know, whatever, be stupid, you know. And I, I was inside, my heart beating, really, I could hear my heart beating. I was terrified. And um, so they let me go. And I turned around, and here comes this guy on his phone. And so I said, you. And, and he goes, no, and then he starts filming me. 
And I go, you want to see my credentials? And he goes, no. He goes, I just want to take your picture. And I go, okay. And I said, I think you're And I gave him the papers. He just let them fall to the ground. So they just shut up and went away. I'm sure they settled on that case. It was about his bodyguard hitting a paparazzi guy in Hawaii. And I guess he broke his jaw or something. It was a big $5 million lawsuit. I'm sure they settled for something. Yeah. Yeah. But that was fun. Well, I've had a homeless missing girl. We keep finding her, she's addicted to drugs, but she loves the area of 7th and Figueroa. It's a big outdoor shopping area. And every time she goes missing, we go looking in that area. And the last time we found her at the USC, we find her on the campus because she looks like she blends in. And I'd say oh, probably five times we found her. And she's from Boston, Massachusetts. And her mom calls me, can you go look for her again, you know? And we do, but she, she introduced me to that area, I should say. Yeah, in your line of work, do you ever, um, are you ever in the position where you are following someone, where you were tracking someone? I have two GPSs on a car, two cars right now. And in the case I have right now, it's the same case. It's two, two cars, and they both belong to the husband. Okay. And we're actually going to um, Peterson Museum. There's a fashion show next week. She says she's going with her mom. He thinks he, he's, she's going with another man. So we got ourselves tickets, $500 tickets. And I get to go, and one of my guys gets, gets to go, and we're going to hunt for her and see. She, she might not be there. You don't know. She might be with her mom. We don't know. But that's going to be fun. <laughs> Being an investigator in Los Angeles, what, what do you see that's a little bit different than someone who's an accountant, someone who's an agent, you know? How do you get to know the city a little bit more intimately? Because we go everywhere you could imagine. I just looked for um, a Bentley at the Beverly Hilton, and I went in, had a cocktail, walked around, um, valet, I asked him, you know, if I had long-term parking, my dad's going to come, you know, where, if he left his car here for a month, and I had to find this vehicle. And I found the vehicle. But, I mean, how often do you get to go to Beverly Hilton? And I called my client, sent him, texted him the pictures, and he's like, have a couple cocktails on me, $30 cocktails on me. <laughs> Perfect. You know? Yeah. And ordinarily, <laughs> I wouldn't go to some place like the Beverly Hilton. You know, I wouldn't go to a fashion show at the Peterson, typically, you know, but I get to do that. And on the subject of recording, which we were obviously doing, Barbara couldn't help mentioning her many secret recording devices, including a nondescript looking pen. Yeah, I just gave my pen to somebody yesterday at lunch. He's going to put it in a vehicle so he can hear the conversation, but it's voice activated, so it won't... Um, play unless somebody's talking. But my thing was, I always listen to music in my car. So does that mean it's going to keep going? You know, and are you going to hear the conversation? So he says, no, no, no. He says, I'm going to put it in the bedroom. He goes, when I'm not home. Whoa. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> TMI. Um, do you have any other, like, gadgets like that that you rely on? Yeah, I have a, it's a USB port. It looks like a charger. And it's also a hidden microphone. We have uh, hidden cameras. We have one that's a light bulb. 
We have one that is, it looks like a smoke sensor. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually kind of expensive, but you have to have somebody install it. And so our guys will wear like a, a navy blue shirt and Dickies pants and look like actual installers. And they're actually putting in spyware in the house. What do you think people's biggest misconception about being a private investigator is? That you're a cop and you're cop-like and you walk around with a gun, a concealed weapon, and that you're a man, Mm -hmm. you know? And so they never see me coming. This show is produced by myself and Mia Fask, edited and mixed by the otherworldly Dean White and Abby Austria. Special thanks to all of my bosses, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, and Emily Feld. That's it for us. Put your tray tables up, leave your shoes on, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.